This podcast is brought to you by Spotless, a new series from Esquire Network, a sexy and bold drama laced with dark humor. Learn more about Spotless by downloading Coming Clean, a roundtable podcast that goes behind the scenes of TV's best dark dramas, and tune into the Spotless series premiere November 14th at 10, 9 central on Esquire Network. If you're one of the 60 million Americans who drive for work, then you know that your miles are your dollars. Every mile you don't log is money that you're losing. MileIQ is the only mileage tracker app that detects, logs, and calculates your miles for you, ensuring that every mile is accounted for and no dollar is lost. Try MileIQ for free today by texting AMERICA to 31996. That's AMERICA to 31996. This episode of Podcast for America is also brought to you by CardsDirect.com. With over 5,000 cards to choose from, you can design the perfect holiday cards with CardsDirect.com. The holidays are just a few weeks away, so create your cards today. Plus, save 25% off at checkout when you visit CardsDirect.com America. I'm Ezra Klein, host of the new Vox podcast, The Weeds. Every week, I'm joined by Sarah Cliff and Matthew Iglesias for a podcast for people who follow politics because they care about and love policy. We talk about healthcare, about economics, about the future of work. We get very nerdy. We get very into the weeds. In a way, you won't hear anywhere else. So subscribe to The Weeds now wherever you get your podcasts or at iTunes.com slash Panoply and join us for a discussion about what's really important in politics. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in New York City. This is Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about which presidential candidates may or may not have assaulted people. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a hat tip to you, Jeb Bush. I'm Alex <laughs> Wagner of MSNBC. Joining me from our fair Washington, D.C. studios is Mark Leibovich of the New York Times Magazine. And via phone on remote is the great Annie Lowry, contributing editor with New York Magazine. Gentlemen and lady, it's great to hear you guys. Hey. Hi. It's been a minute. Hi. 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 <laughs> it's going to be a good, it's going to, you guys, listeners out there know it's going to be huh? good because we got five highs from Mark Leibovich. We're going to step up. We're going to step up. Also yep. paraphrasing Jeb Bush. Mm. Okay. First this week, we're going to talk about Ben Carson and his no good, very bad, terrible, terrible week, which he may turn around to be a incredibly profitable fundraising week. Then we're going to talk about the art of the vet. And no, we don't mean Veterans Day. We mean the vetting process, something we in the media know a little about. Or in the words of Ben Carson, maybe we don't know anything about it at all. And then finally, we will finish up with Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. It happened. What did we think of it? Mark Leibovich was in the audience. I think he was close enough to actually have been in the trajectory of Donald Trump's spittle. Is that right, Mark? Nope. Not nope. not, not at the... No, I was not. But um, if you want to believe that I was, you can. Emotionally. Uh, he Emotionally, might in, He might have been in my... in Because I was up on the balcony, so you know, I think by the laws of gravity, maybe my spittle descended onto him. Yeah, we have to check this in the vet. We do. <laughs> We will. I will in the NBC studios at 30 Rock spit from the balcony sometime this week. And I'll get back to you guys on the following episode of Podcast for America. That in the industry is known as a deep tease. Okay, let's get started. I dated one of those in high school. (laughs) Deep tease. (laughs) Sorry. You just came up with that like off the cuff. Oh, yeah. You have no idea. (laughs) Jump man. Okay. (laughs) Ben Carson, you guys. Uh, Possibly the only... 
African-American to fight with the American media for failing to hold up his personal story of a so-called violent past. It has been a very, very weird series of days for Ben Carson. And let's begin with what I think is the most damning possible half-truth, non-truth which is Ben Carson maybe lying about getting into West Point, Mark? Well, I mean, he, he actually, did he say he actually got it? He said he turned down a full scholarship Sorry, to West Point. Sorry, turning down a full scholarship right. to West which Point. Which is pretty egregious. I mean, you know, he seemed to, I mean, if you were going to believe the original story, he seemed to take the leap from maybe running into William Westmoreland, the Vietnam-era general, at some event in Detroit, hearing some encouraging words from him, and then sort of turning that into a guarantee of a full scholarship at West Point, which he then turned down. You know, to me, that's an out-and-out lie. I mean, maybe, you know, you can say I misinterpreted. Maybe I, you can say, I mean, you can use all kinds of words, but it sounds um, false to me. Annie, there's also Carson's going back and forth on the Manatech story. Manatech is a controversial supplement provider. And Carson basically, in the debates the other week, said he had no relationship with them. And then if you actually look at the videos of Ben Carson extolling the virtues of glycemic or whatever it is, (laughs) nutritional supplements, it's quite clear that he had a very real relationship with this company, despite his protestations otherwise. Yeah, he's just got mired in sort of like, they're not even scandals. They're just like kind of issues or something, but like one after another after another, right? So he claims that he gets a full-ride scholarship to West Point, but tuition and board at West Point is free, I'm pretty sure, for the people that go there. Um, so Because you're, you're signing up for a military like, it, the thing that he claims that he had, it's not like a scholarship to, like, Yale or whatever. You know, it just it's not the same thing. Then there's the whole thing about the fucking Egyptian pyramids. And I have been having a lot of trouble making heads or tails of what your average person outside the scrum that we exist in must think of all of this stuff, because it's all really bizarre. You know, I actually, I mean, I agree with the, with Mark that he... he clearly misspoke at the very minimum about a lot of the West Point stuff, but does your average person care about it or or even recognize it? You know, all of it is just weird. I I wouldn't think that this Republican race could get weirder, but Ben Carson seems to me to be a complete lunatic, and it has just gotten stranger. And the violent past, right? Yeah, oh my God. the, The idea that Ben Carson nearly stabbed his best friend. I mean, there, there's no one that can corroborate a lot of these stories. And Mark, yeah, I mean, exactly. Ben Carson's calling card, the reason he's at the top of the polls is because of his incredible life story, right? So once there are all these holes poked in the incredible life story, it's kind of like, well, then who exactly is Ben Carson? And why exactly are we supporting him for president? But I don't know, Mark, if anybody's actually asking that question in terms of his supporters. <laughs> well, I, I think someone, I think Michael Barbaro wrote this the other day. It's kind of a fact-free campaign. I mean, there, I mean, as Trump sort of proved in his rise atop the polls, there is no real penalty for telling you know, f- flat out lies for saying things that are outrageous. There's just this very easy two-step where you can blame the media. You can raise money if you want. I mean, Trump didn't, but but Carson certainly is already, and everyone else does. And then all of a sudden, you can just sort of be like the latest martyr. I mean, there's one every week. I mean, Ted, there's a story uh, in the Times out today, or it's going to be out in the next few days, 
about Ted Cruz's father and his story about coming from Cuba. Seems like it's got all kinds of doubt attached to it. I'm sure in the next few days we'll see Ted Cruz attack the mainstream media and the American people are sick of it and there'll be a fundraising letter afterwards. And we've seen this hall before. So the people that they are appealing to seem to be operating, if not in a fact-free environment, in an environment that, that rewards grievance over the alleged you know, straw man of the, of the liberal press or actual liberal press, if that's you know what you believe, then really anything else. Annie, do you feel like part of the reason these exaggerations or outright lies have, like Ben Carson has been able to sort of brush them aside among a certain sector of his supporters is because he speaks in such a calm manner. I mean, I know that sounds absurd, but, it, you know, he, we saw flashes of anger this weekend when he was asked questions uh, by reporters. But other than that, he kind of just shrugs this off verbally in a, in a, in a way that maybe is convincing. I don't know. Yeah, I think that the thing for him is that he gets to claim that these are media scandals, that they are manufactured, that they are like quibbles about wording. And, you know, like they're all sort of a little bit flighty and unverifiable and also weird that I think that none of them are necessarily rebounding too much on him and are maybe even bringing him more attention. That's my kind of sense of it. And I think that the kind of fundamental pillars of him being a kind of an amazing and unusual being remain, right? You know, like the guy's a neurosurgeon, say what you will. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how much this rebounds on, on his kind of incredible biography. It's just a bizarre turn of events, all of these things colliding at once. Well, well let me actually say two things about this. I mean, first of all, everyone has said all along that, look, Carson and Trump are atop the polls. But they are actually very, very different animals, obviously. But Trump gives the illusion of having been vetted because he is such a known and familiar figure. Whereas everything you learn about Ben Carson at this point is new. And and Trump, over many, many decades now, has developed this uh, jiu-jitsu of, of being able to sort of turn everything into just this marketed truth. And I think, you know, we're actually taping this on Monday, and in the next 24 hours uh, will be another Republican debate. I will bet you that Donald Trump will bring Ben Carson's biography up at least once, maybe repeatedly, because in a very, very ironic twist, uh, nothing confers an issue more in this campaign than Donald Trump, more so than even the media, at least in the Republican electorate. I ask you both. Today, I was um, I had long heard this rumor that Ben Carson has an oil portrait of himself arm in arm with Jesus hanging <laughs> over his uh, fireplace. Oh, but who among us, day. Alex? Who among us? <laughs> and it was actually on uh, the Today Show this morning. Peter Alexander, the great NBC reporter, had a package that featured the oil painting. I'm not sure how everybody anybody got a picture of it. But I, when I saw this, I thought, well, that's sort of really weird. And, and and then I thought, well, maybe I'm just totally out of touch with the group of people that would find that like an OK thing to have hanging in your living room. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I've actually <laughs> seen these before. So I um, what do you, you mean have? you've seen them before? You've seen Ben Carson with Jesus. Pa- paintings <laughs> no, not Ben Carson with Jesus. Oh. But in, it was in an evangelical's house and they had a couple portraits with like Christ with the family. And huh. I think that this is actually kind of a thing. To hmm. be fair, Mark, it was in the context of Ben Carson's museum 
to himself, his mm-hmm. his homage to <laughs> That's himself. That's a little weirder. Right? Yes. Right. It was amid all the plaques and certificates. I mean, which, you know, look, if I was Not one uncommon. of America's great neurosurgeons, maybe I'd have a lot of plaques and, and, you know, and awards and so forth on my, on my wall. You can put that in the man cave context. I mean, you know, a lot of very successful, often very- You know this, Mark. I, Tom I know, Brady, would he have a portrait of that? Um- What's interesting about Tom Brady is that Tom Brady actually has very, very few items. But there is, I will say, in the den I work in at home sometimes, I have a framed copy of a front page of the New York Times from 2008. I don't know the exact date, but I think it might have been January 31st, 2007, or 2008. I had two front page stories one day. So that's sort wow. of like a, that's like a me wall That must have been a thing, really right? slow news day. Uh, it actually <laughs> kind of was. That's true. It was a charity, uh, I, I won't use the term, but yeah, so um, it's- I think yeah. that if I were to have one of these, I would want, you know, me and Jesus in kind of like the prom pose, you know, where he's sort of like hugging you from behind. <laughs> uh Sure. If there's a hell, you might be going to it, Annie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. If anybody is an artist, please email in. All right. Yes. On that note, we are going to take a quick break <laughs> to hear from one of our sponsors and clean out our mouths with soap. Mm-hmm. This episode of Podcast for America is brought to you by Esquire Network's new series, Spotless, a sexy and bold drama laced with dark humor. Spotless tells the story of a troubled man whose tidy life is turned upside down when his outlaw brother crash lands into his world, forcing dark secrets out of the past into the light, and getting both of them fatally involved in organized crime. Played out against a backdrop of Jean's niche crime scene cleaning business, with gangsters, corruption, drugs, and death a constant hazard, Jean, Martin, and their dysfunctional family struggle to gain control over life, business, and their shared destiny. No one gets away clean. Find out what happens when the mob needs a little help cleaning up. Spotless premieres November 14th at 10, 9 central on Esquire Network. Okay, we are back. And our Ben Carson discussion, fruitful as it was, did not touch on this, this increasingly contentious process known as the vetting process. And... Ben Carson has made a mockery of what he thinks the liberal media's uh, double-sided vetting process, which is much more stringent for conservatives than he believes it is for Democrats. The liberal media has responded in turn, if you uh, think all media is liberal, that that's not true. And by way of example, they've pointed to, oh, Jeremiah Wright or Bill Ayers and President Barack Obama. They've pointed to Bill Clinton and his various (laughs) extramarital indiscretions, we'll say. And I guess I wonder from Annie and Mark whether you guys think we are more intrusive with our vetting of national political figures now and whether or not there is a partisan bent. I mean, I think maybe we're more intrusive. I don't think it's a partisan, like a partisan thing. I don't know a reporter who, if they had like a juicy Hillary scoop, would um, sit on it. Yeah, you would you would never you would be so goddamn delighted like it's just it's it's ludicrous to me to think and and notably reporters have gone after these like really tiny judgment calls about like oh what does this mean like reading the real like runes of her you know relationships with people like 30 years ago and all of that but I I do think that there's this sense in which like people say okay like the vetting process has to be less bad than the electoral, right? Like, people deserve this scrutiny, and it's worth it given the role that you're getting. It sounds like maybe cliche, but I think that that's true. This is part of running for this office. Is it? I I actually don't know the answer to that question. 
I mean, sure. I mean, it's whatever the voters decide. I mean, you know, there's a huge yeah. sector of but the electorate the vo- right now. That, I, but wait, okay, right. that's taking the media completely out of it. Like, right. I mean, Hillary's emails are a bad example, but uh, let's go with Obama. The, his relationship with Jeremiah Wright was made into something. I mean, the, that that was brought up and not by the voters, but by front page headlines, right? Right. Yeah. And then uh, and then the voters. Yeah, but, I mean. He won. It's hard to sort of divine an outcome outside of the process that the media has, right? Like the media is part of the process. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I'm obviously a media partisan. I, I, I don't. I mean, well, let's table the discussion about whether the the media is in fact biased. I will say this: the people we are writing about, the people we are trying to vet, supposedly vetting, vetting too much, whatever you want to say, are whining a heck of a lot more than they used to. I mean, yeah. this has become sure. such a cheap and reflexive defense complaint i mean that is absolutely you know it, it, it whether it's legitimate or not it is absolutely a diversionary cynical usually quite opportunistic way to you know both ignore what the substance of the charges is and you know often to raise money and to win favor in the very very black and white sort of environment that we live in so there are good journalists and bad journalists there are good stories and bad stories and we have a job to do and i probably am naive if i think that well everyone's just going to judge it on the merits and i just think that we all have a job to do and i think we need to keep doing it as well as we can i wonder i i feel like <laughs> what is so frustrating Let's say you think that all of the, the, the vetting that is happening these days is, is about tangential bullshit. Setting that aside, the idea that there's some kind of bias, that the New York Times wasn't the, mag- the newspaper that broke the Hillary Clinton email story or that Barack Obama didn't get it, like lion's share of scrutiny over his relationship with 60s radicals, I mean, is just complete horseshit. I mean, truly yeah, I and right. deeply. It's not in the way that, that the media is unwilling to challenge the Clintons. Like, it's crazy to think that. If anything, like, like they hate me- the media for the precise reason that they feel like they've been persecuted by them for 40 years or however long it is. So, like, a more subtle and complicated thing than that. Um, and I'm not even necessarily sure that it, it, it comes out predominantly in uh, political reporting versus cultural reporting, where I feel like it's much more prevalent. A lot of the people who are covering politics personally share the same set of values, which tend to be more socially progressive and and tolerant. But those personal values do not necessarily, and I would argue don't, get reflected in in the stories they cover and and the stories that they pitch and the stories they want to cover. Right. The big thing is that I think it shows up in in not the usual places that you would think. I actually don't think that bias is that bad of an issue in political coverage because all political reporters are profoundly incentivized to, like, fucking body tackle whoever they can at any moment. But if you look at stories about the economy, stories about culture, there I think the liberal bias is extraordinarily obvious. And I think it's this bizarre thing where everybody thinks that the bias is about politics, and it isn't. It's about identity, which has become much more deeply tied with politics. That's been part of the polarization of the last 30 years. That's a great point. I mean, I live in northwest Washington. I don't know a single neighbor who, one, belongs to the NRA, two, is an evangelical Christian. You know, these are huge, huge sectors of the American electorate. I mean, they, you know, no one in my neighborhood, to my knowledge, thinks that Obama is a, is a Muslim. But, you know, 40-something percent of Republicans do. So are we just abiding the ignorance of this other po- part of the population by saying that, you know, this is a discredited issue, this is wrong? Or are we being biased because, you know, 
know, this is not our worldview. I don't know. I mean, it gets, it does get a little deep, um, if not a deep tease. It, it gets a little, <laughs> it is subtle. I mean, I, I don't know if there's bias. I think there probably is if you were to do sort of a deep study of it. But I also think that's wrapped up in, in sort of indistinguishable ways from identity and, and actual decisions we make in the course of writing or talking about stories we do. There's also a practical element, too, though, right? The vetting around Ben Carson seems sort of more tangential, perhaps, because we know so little about Ben Carson and his so much of his experience in, in medicine is not directly applicable to the experience one traditionally has in terms of running for the highest office in the land, right? So those that are covering him have to mine biographical sources for data and right. the book bec- the book takes on much larger importance in the same way truly that Barack Obama's personal story where he was from where he was educated these details are sort of all that that we can feed on to get a sense of who this person would be in office because there is precisely such a a very short resume in terms of you know the traditional bona fides you'd have on your your CV okay we're going to take another short break to learn about another one of our fantastic sponsors. Driving for work can be a double-edged sword. Either you're spending too much time tracking every mile or you're guesstimating and end up losing money. From appointments with clients, meetings, errands, unless you're chained to your desk all day, then you're one of the 60 million Americans who drives for work. If you're driving for work and aren't already using MileIQ, then you're losing money fast. MileIQ is the number one mileage tracker app. More than a million Americans trust MileIQ to automatically log their drives every day. MileIQ is the only mileage tracker app that detects, logs, and calculates your drives for you automatically. It's incredibly easy to use and keeps all of your drives stored securely in the cloud. The average MileIQ user logs $547 a month in drives. That's over $6,000 a year in miles you could be claiming. MileIQ has a five-star rating in both the Google Play and iTunes app stores. Stop wasting time manually tracking your miles and stop losing money that you should be redeeming. MileIQ does all the work, letting you focus on what's actually important. You can try MileIQ for free right now by texting AMERICA to 31996. Standard messaging and data rates apply. Simply text AMERICA to 31996 to download the MileIQ app and start your free trial right away. Welcome back. This past weekend, the Donald was the official guest host of Saturday Night Live, a a decision that was not met without controversy. It was a second late-night appearance by Mr. Trump, the first being the Jimmy Fallon show earlier this fall, and one of our podcasters for America, Mark Leibovich, was in the audience, not in spittle range, but pretty damn close, it sounds like, Mark. Yeah, I was uh, I was in the audience. One of my colleagues, Maureen Dowd, was was with me. We, I mean, I guess it's sort of this. The, the, was that a humble brag? No, it wasn't. I mean, here's here's it the sounds genesis. like one. Was it why? Because I was with Maureen. Oh, yeah. believe me, you've never don't say it like Maureen. I mean, but because Maureen's you're with, awesome. You're with my esteemed colleague Maureen. No, That's was it? Oh, I certainly didn't. No, the, the humble brag will be when I talk about the after party. Uh oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that was cool. When I was writing about Trump last month, he was taping the Jimmy Fallon show, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And I was backstage, and Lorne Michaels produces that show, too. And it was then, I was present at the creation, that Lorne Michaels asked Donald Trump if he would host Saturday Night Live. So I was there, and I knew it, but I couldn't report it because they asked me 
you know, they said, can you keep this off the record, anything backstage? So I kept sort of talking to Lorne Michaels and I said, hey, can we like report this? Because this is like a scoop. And they were trying to work it out with lawyers and everything. Anyway, it, it, they worked it out somehow um, and we went to the show and it's the first time I've ever gone to Saturday Night Live. Have either of you guys gone to Saturday Night Live? Yes. I never have. It's so cool. I loved it's, it. It's awesome. Yes. And I love the show, brag. too. Humble brag. I told... No, this is my first time. This is No, like, I was humble bragging. Oh, you, you know what? Just because I was like, yes. I, I'm being so very cool. wide-eyed about it. It was like... It was really cool to be in there. And I loved the show. Not a lot of people did, apparently, according to the uh, reviews. But I just, like, laughed uproariously at the show. I thought it was, like, great. But what do I want Annie, know? did you like the show? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> oh, come on. So- just... Of course With the job that I have, doing the things that I do, it was like a little hard to watch and enjoy, if that makes sense, right? Because you're just like, you're kind of like, you're analyzing it. I thought it was really weird. I thought he was really weird. I thought the whole thing was kind of weird. It was meta. He's so far into like the world of self-parody that it's hard for me to see him being funny. That's amazing. It's true. Yeah, I also, I found myself really desperately wanting Oprah to interview Trump right now. Like, I, Oprah, if, you, if you're out sure there, you I think that, that would be wonderful. Oprah, because he has a way of breaking through people's barriers, and he just he didn't have to do that on the show. And it, it was like, he just seemed like a weird artifact or object, like a weird marionette and not an actual human. Um, and, and so I think we need Oprah and Gail. Moments like this, Mark, are when I truly believe that Donald Trump's candidacy is a performance art piece. Totally. Yeah. Isn't that what, I mean, look, he has... <laughs> He has just made the media his bitch at every single turn. Totally. I mean, he yes. now, like every Sunday, he will call in to multiple Sunday shows, and he will probably get asked by all of them, you know, every other week. I mean, most of them demand. Well, and also, P.S., calling, calling into in. a Sunday, exactly. Sunday show is unprecedented, right? right? They usually like, insist you get, on you, being in studio. We all, get, we all get the listings of who's going to be on the Sunday shows, and, and literally you will have a major news <laughs> major news network say, you know, ABC, Trump call-in. Like, yes. they are now booking call-ins from Donald Trump, it's which is crazy. not something that ever happened. No, before. it's a naked ratings play. And <laughs> yes, he's entertaining, but at some point, when will like the entertainment portion of this campaign end and people start getting over their aversion to being accused of one, asking gotcha questions or being disliked? I mean, the guy is, he's ratings gold, and let's, you know. And, well, and it's exposed the cynicism of the networks. I mean, I right. work at NBC. I work at 30 Rock. I was hosting The Last Word all last week, and outside of the building every day there were protesters who right. were trying to hold NBC to task for putting someone who has said very derogatory, bigoted remarks about Hispanic people putting him on the air and like what is actually like kind of the one of the crown jewel appearances you can have totally. at, at NBC that didn't factor in to their their ultimate decision making Donald Trump took the stage on Saturday Night Live and they got great numbers yeah and that is apparently enough yeah I've started thinking a lot about him after he loses and like what will happen to him and what he will do and my sense is that maybe he would go into a, like a weird gore phase and if he grew a beard I would be really happy but like I almost can't even <laughs> And keep my hopes up in that way but i think like what is he going to do mark what is he going to do what is he going to do whatever what did he do we... at the after party and what did he eat <laughs> the after party was so cool it was at this restaurant on the lower east side i don't know can i talk about this sure i'm talking about it what the hell you know we walked in and he was at this huge table with his whole family it was actually very kind of paternal 
And he had Bill O'Reilly next to him, which I thought was pretty funny. He said, hey, why don't you guys sit down? And then we went over to, this is so many humble brags in one little story. But we, we, we went over to Lauren's table, and we're sitting there with him. And, uh, like, Trump kept coming over and saying to Lauren, hey, m- make sure these people are taken care of. I like, he was, it. like, in this, like, constant sort of host mode. And it was really kind of funny. And he kept asking everyone, how'd I do? How'd I do? How'd I do? He was very, um, you know, solicitous. It was quite a weird scene. Like Larry David was there. And so, but it looked like he had fun. I mean, I, I think, you know, the larger editorial decision on whether you put a guy like this on the air, it's such a, such a marquee venue and, and vehicle. I mean, now, now that now with Alex Wagner is no longer on the air also, I think that this is probably the marquee right, space. Right, right. Now like that my show's MSG. off the air, the, yes. the, the next most I mean, important appearance like you can make is on show, SNL. Absolutely. I mean, I think what he'll do next is whatever he wants. I mean, being Trump is a full-time job as opposed to being like Scott Walker, which you know means you only get to be governor of Wisconsin until you know his term Pick up work. Out. Right, exactly. So... We'll see. I'll just say, I think it's amazing that Donald Trump is like the only person in America that can stoke the ire of the rage of conservatives and, and talk about the you know liberal bias and excoriate the establishment, both the Republican and Democrat, and then sort of retire to the restaurant uh, after his SNL performance uh, with, with Larry David with Larry and, David. and <laughs> Lauren Michaels and Mark Leibovich. Yeah. And, and you know, Sia. Kind of, Sia was also there. And of course, Sia, <laughs> another part of the uh, establishment media. But, awesome. you know, the, the, and, and totally comfortably navigate these two worlds and not feel like he has to apologize for either. Right. I would really like to see Mark in a CEO wig. People just kept coming by the table and were in, being introduced, and, and there was Sia. That was, like, really cool. So, Mark, anyway, I'll get off my starstruck thing for a second. No, it, you have officially passed the realm of humble brag. I have jumped and, the and humble now, brag Now I think here. you're more humble than brag. Really? I, I sense a genuine starstruckness. I'm still kind of hungover, actually, than brag or humble, which is kind of... Hungover brag. Hungover brag. Can I just say, actually, one, one final point? I mean, I do think that... Celebrity is the gold standard here. It is all, I don't really know if Donald Trump believes a lot of the stuff he says. And what we're finding is that populism in America right now begins and ends with being famous and being a celebrity and being on TV. And no one does that better than him, especially in this field. Populism is popularity. I think it's interesting. I think at some point we should talk about Obama as the first celebrity president. Yeah, yeah. Because I love that whole thing. I think it's like so hilarious and weird, and we should delve into it more deeply. Yeah, Will I Am and Jay Z and Beyonce. You're right, Annie. He is the first popular popular president for the post presidency Obama, except for perhaps Obama and Michelle themselves. Like, I'm so excited for them to just go be friends with Jay Z and Beyonce, like they deserve. Yeah, (laughs) like they deserve. And we're gonna leave it there. That is known as a deep tease. It is time to hear from another generous sponsor of Podcasts for America. And when we come back, we will tell you what we do all together now if we were in charge. Deck the halls this year with custom holiday cards from CardsDirect.com. Whether it's for your family or business, CardsDirect.com has you covered with traditional and corporate cards and a variety of unique printing formats. You can add a photo, logo, or custom message. And with over 5,000 cards to choose from, you're sure to create the perfect holiday cards. Plus, with express shipping, they'll be here quick, like the holidays. Podcast for America listeners save an extra 25% off at cardsdirect.com slash America. Don't wait. The holidays are only six weeks away. Visit cardsdirect.com slash America. Okay, we're back. And it is time for a segment, the greatest hits, the greatest hits segment, if I were in charge. Annie, if you were in charge, 
of this little world, what would you do? So I feel like I kind of want to, I want to direct this question to um, something that's been in the news of late, which is about killing baby Hitler. So <laughs> recently, Jeb Bush said that, like, fuck yes, he would kill baby Hitler if he had the opportunity. He told the Huffington Post, this is the exact quote, hell yeah, I would. You got to step up, man. And I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, I don't think that I could kill baby Hitler because in the alternative timeline in which I could, nothing would matter. Like, there would be, we're in 2015 already. I just think it brings up too many sort of science fictional issues with time travel. Well, I'm going to say no. Well, what about the Also, if you were in a position to be with baby Hitler, couldn't you just be- try and better raise baby Hitler? Maybe I Instead would, of like, adopt him? baby Hitler? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would, as a member of the media, I would want to properly vet baby Hitler. How's that? Let's bring us full circle here. Perfect. Do you guys think that Hillary Clinton would kill baby Hitler? No. Of course she would kill baby Hitler. With a drone. With a drone. (laughs) You know what? Jeb Bush's failure to answer this question in a fashion that we in the liberal media found acceptable might sink his campaign. Yeah, that's the thing that's going to sink it. Yeah. Okay, I'll say if I were in charge, I would make every single candidate running for president appear on Saturday Night Live. Because contrary to the conventional wisdom that the debates are the real and best vetting process for the American public, I actually think as long as we're in the 21st century, going into the year 2016, Anno Domini, is that what it stands for, AD, SNL is as good a vehicle as anything to vet a candidate. How do they improv? How do they deal with stress? Are they funny? Can they communicate? Uh, I don't disagree with that. I think that that's good, although I would actually tweak it. And with that, I will, I will, I will tell you what, what I would do if I were in charge. I would have them all host together. Oh, Lord. I, I would actually break it into three groups. Maybe do a Democratic group. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the same kitty table, adult table sort of breakdown. <laughs> the the top-tier candidates are on from 1130 to post-weekend update, and the second-tier candidates get the last half hour or something. See how they handle it. And by the way, it's not just that show. It's like the whole week leading up to it because supposedly it's it's like a real MRI. You can learn a lot about a person. And all of my new friends at the after party told me this. (laughs) (laughs) As long as Ted Cruz is doing weekend update, I'm in. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of weekend update, I'm ripping up the scripts and throwing them across the room like Dennis Miller. Jane Curtin used to say, good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. That's it for Podcast for America. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank. Thanks to AC Valdez and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please do let us know what you think of the show. You will find us on Twitter at Pod for America. And our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. Mark Leibovich will personally respond to any messages you send us. And please tell your friends about us, too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover this great show. For Annie Lowry and Mark Leibovich, I'm Alex Wagner in New York. Thanks for listening.